Welcome to Iconic Women in Italian Wine on the Italian Wine Podcast. This recording was taken from a seminar that took place during Vinitali 2022. Listen in to this unprecedented, unique session that included two competing wine writers and seven renowned wine producers sharing a stage to tell their stories. This was a meeting of hearts, minds, and wines, a showcase of the communication skills of women who were able to pool their resources and put aside differences to come together for the greater good of the entire Italian wine sector. So let's um, just briefly, while you're tasting the wines, talk about these two lovely wines. Um, The interesting thing is that they're from the same vintage. I I think we see a lot of energy and harmony from both of them. Um, I don't want to give too much away. I think you all have your own tasting notes, but maybe, Monica, you have a word or two to say. Absolutely. First, I just want to say how beautifully everything is showing, especially in that last flight. It was absolutely fantastic. And now we go into this other flight. And here we get, in both wines, a more robust taste profile with darker fruits, a lot more earthiness, um, you know, more volcanic nuances in once uh, in one of the wines, and definitely a lot more intensity overall. So this is kind of a very special flight of these two wines, and they're both uni- united not only by the fact that they share the same vintage, in this case, both warm vintage, it's a warm vintage, I can tell you that, um, but these are powerful, bold, uh, muscular wines that really show a strong footprint. Well, I mean, I would agree that they're powerful, they're bold, but I also think, again, that harmony and that sense of equilibrium that I was, I was mentioning is there. And, and yes, you see these, um, it's like everything is amped up in the same level. There's a, a concentration of flavor. There's a concentration of structure. There's a concentration of acidity. And, and when you put the pieces all together, they all fit, um, making them really fascinating to taste today and, and showing very well. Um, I guess I will do the reveal, maybe. Yes. So, okay, so first of all, Again, I'm going to give you a little clue. Who thinks? Who thinks? Who thinks that the first wine is an Amarone from Meralisa? Anyone? No. Okay. Who thinks the first wine is an Alianico from Elena Pucci? Okay. Brava. Um, and who thinks the second wine is an Amarone from from Meralisa? Very good. You are very good students. Okay. We have two. We have two 2012s. It's the 2012 Alianico del Votri Titolo from Elena Pucci and 2012 Amarone del Valpolicella Classico Reserva Fioramante from Allegrini. Um, Monica, do you want to lead here? Yes, so um, I'm happy that everybody got a chance to taste those two wines. We now get to speak with the winemakers, um, Elena, dear Elena, and Marilisa. You both share amazing stories of bringing your regions to the forefront of Italian wine and communicating them. You faced special challenges in trying to explain Basilicata and Valpolicella, respectively. What are some of the key points to stress when you travel abroad? And what has been your experience promoting wines from lesser-known regions? How about we start with Marilisa, please? So, um... Thank you very much, Monica, for this uh, question. And uh, I think that uh, we have to go a little bit uh, back because uh, it's uh, 40 years that uh, I'm traveling the world 
promoter Valponicella wines. And uh, I remember at the beginning of my traveling, Valpolicella was not uh, an era that was uh, really appreciated because uh, Valpolicella was, uh, at the beginning of the 80s, was uh, known for inexpensive wine and uh, the Valpolicella. And then Amarone was a very niche wine. And so uh, not many high-end consumers really appreciate Valpolicella. So for me, it was a big challenge. And uh, I travel a lot. And I start in the United States, where I learn a lot. Because I learned that uh, it's important to make good wines, but it's also important to be able to communicate. And I remember the first time I went to America, uh, my importer at that time uh, don't allow me, didn't allow me to go out uh, to sell wine until I made the, I wrote down everything about the company, about the wine production of the Valpolicella area, about the grape variety, about the different vinification process. So. It was a big challenge. And at the beginning, I remember that uh, uh, sometime in some restaurant when I was very proud to uh, show my wine, some people said, oh, we don't want to have a Valpolicella wine in our wine list. And you can imagine that I was very, very sad about this. And so uh, the storytelling was for me what uh, uh, helped me to promote the wine. So, so to put uh, the wine, the vinification process, and also the diversity that Italy has, uh, including the appassimento process, that is the, one of the characteristics of the Valpolicella, really helped me to uh, make this area um, known. Because uh, even among the high-end consumer, Valpolicella and especially Amarone was not uh, a very well-known wine. And uh, I realized that uh, the Valpolicella became successful when in 2001, one of the wine that I produced was uh, in the panel of the 10 top wines from Italy, and it was during the wine experience. And I think that four women that are here tonight, uh, they were in the same panel. So talking about uh, Amarone, this is Fioramonte, is a single vineyard Amarone that comes from a vineyard that is located at uh, 450 meters, so quite high in the Policella. And uh, Chiara explained about, uh, very well about the microclimate. And uh, this vineyard combines uh, good soil, great ventilation, and also fantastic exposure. And the, the vineyard is facing east. So my father always uh, used to say that uh, the, um, the vineyard that face east are the ones that have the most beneficial influence because they have the morning sun, so the temperature raises uh, quite slowly, and so you have uh, a good ripeness of the grapes. Um, it was one of the first single vineyards that we produce. So 
we produced this wine from 1960 until 1985, and then we stopped producing the single vineyard because the vines were affected by the ESCA disease. So at one point, we took away all the uh, vines, and then we let the soil to uh, rest for 10 years, and then we replanted, and then we wait 10 more years until the, um, the vines develop the roots. And uh, the wine is uh, uh, harvest. This is the 2012 vintage. Uh, it was harvested at the beginning of uh, October, and then, um, we dry the grapes and we press the grapes in the middle of January. Middle of January, we are in the coldest month of the year, so it takes 10, 15 days the fermentation to start, and then the fermentation lasts for two months. When the wine is at two-thirds of the fermentation, we inoculate selected yeast because and because of the richness of the wine, it is very difficult to develop the last part of the uh, sugar fermentation. So uh, for the, the, the skin contact uh, lasts for almost two months. And then we immediately, after the, the fermentation, when we separate the skin from the juice, we put the wine into barrels. And then we have the evolution of the, this uh, intense uh, rich wine in barrel for 48 months. And one of the characteristics of the wine is this uh, intensity, but also uh, we never lose the focus on uh, freshness. And in fact, uh, we don't let the wine to have the malolactic fermentation so the, the wine can keep this uh, freshness. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marilisa. Thank you very much. So I would pose the same question to, to Elena. But Elena, um, specifically for you, I would like to know um, what do you, what lessons can you offer to a young generation of female winemakers when it comes to communicating your territory? You have had such a special role specifically in this part. Ciao, Monica. Ciao, Elena. Ciao. Thank you, Stevie. Thank you, Alison, and you, Monica, for this um, experience. For me, it's um, fantastic uh, to be here with uh, this uh, special woman wine. For me, it's a dream. Okay. Thank you so much. And um, my dreams in the world wine uh, start in 2002. 22 years ago and uh, because my family um, think uh, to sold the vigna, my old vigna in the Basilicata on the Monte Vulture and the Monte Vulture is our old volcano extinct, you know. And uh, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather had these vines, but they don't make in a wine. They sold the grapes for the producer or uh, consortium. My mom and my dad in his life are a teacher and uh, in 2000, my family think to sold these uh, these vines. In um, in the summer 2000, I finished the high school and I think to study engineering um, genetics. But in September, I changing idea. 
because I know my family with advance sold my house, the house where I born, and when I living with uh, with my family, and I changing my life. Uh, I decided to study viticulture and enology, agronomy, and uh, I start to making a wine. When I start in 2000, uh, the people in the world, uh, they don't know where is Basilicata, where is Vulture, what is Aglianico del Vulture. And the first time when uh, I started to making a wine, uh, I think, okay, I have six hectares all together around the cellar, a single vigna, a single grape, Aglianico del Vulture. I decide to produce and to make a single wine, a single label. And uh, born my my wine, my life, <laughs> titolo. And uh, in the, the my experience in the world is the same, Marie Lisa, because uh, I travel a lot in the, my life. I travel a lot for for explain for uh, uh, for to know for the other uh, people in the world my my region and my wine. And um, usually, um, when I describe my wine. I describe my wine in the modern, not modernist wine, because it's my idea of Aglianico del Vulture, and, um, but, um, but it's, uh, it's my idea of Aglianico del Vulture because I'm a, I'm a winemaker of uh, my wine, and, uh, but, um, but uh, I, I work and respect the, the, the variety and the terroir, hmm? where we are. The principal characteristic of Aglianico are three acidity, minerality, and tannin. Usually when the people think of Sud Italy or when the people think of red wine in Sud Italy, they think of very hot weather, very strong red wine. But for the Vulture, this not is true because we are in the middle, we are on the mountain. The Vulture is like 1,300 meters and we are 600 meters on top. Monte Vulture. We have every winter of snow and the summer and spring are very fresh with high excursion night and day. And uh, um, in the first time, uh, the people uh, in tw- 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, the people in the world, they don't know this because they usually think, okay, Sud Italy is very hot weather, very strong red wine, but for the Aglianico, we work for the high acidity, the minerality, this, uh, this is the, the typically characteristic uh, of the, the Aglianico. Um, here in the glass, you have um, 20, uh, 2012, uh, the, the vintage. And, um, and uh, for me, uh, it's, uh, it's funny because uh, um, it's uh, 10 years ago. And uh, 10 years ago, I don't, don't imagine this in the in the in the in the wine world i, I don't i uh, 10 years ago i don't know my life changing complete in this in this 10 years and uh, for me it's a pleasure and honor to to see you and sorry for my english because i start to work very young and i start to study english four years ago and for me this is crazy to speak <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Thank you, Alana. Thank you, Neralisa. Um, and then I just have to say, it's a real pleasure to do this comparison of the same vintage, and we're oh, talking wow. north and south, um, so uh, a common theme. 
Um, and I love, as, as Monica mentioned, the, the freshness to this, but I also, it's so interesting to see how your wine has aged, Elena, and also for you, Marilisa, to see the evolution as well. So um, thank you both. We are going to move on to our third flight and we have two last wines. Um, I won't have to give you a hint as to who the two producers are, process of elimination. You know, the, the interesting thing here is obviously we're talking Tuscany and there's this really, this beam of black cherry and black currant fruit in our first wine, um, as well as these fine but structured tannins and kind of a, a loamy earth character underneath. And then we, we see that same pure fruit in our second wine, but also a savory component that comes along with the, the dark berries and the fig. There's some olive and there's some iron. Um, any, any comments, Monica, from you? Yes, I mean, we are, we are talking about two wines from two vintages that are five years apart, both relatively cool vintages, if you'd like. Um, maybe one with moments of heat at different times. But um, it's also a different uh, palette when it comes to grape varietal that we'll discuss that. But um, these are two very important wines that um, come from a shared uh, DNA, if you will, because the two families that made them are in fact um, uh, uh, cousins. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's a shared winemaking knowledge and know-how um, and expertise that is definitely broadcast across both uh, both glasses. They, these are beautiful wines. I'm so every wine in this flight has been just amazing and I've been so impressed to see all of the little differences from, you know, the tip the south south the deep south of Italy to the uh, far north and now we kind of go into this um, you know, a softer zone of central Italy. Um, and you can definitely taste the sunshine and the uh, Toscanita, the Tuscan influences in both these glasses for sure. The, the under the Tuscan sun, I think. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, great. So let's see, who thinks our first one is Antonori? Okay, and who thinks our first wine is from Priscilla, Sanguido? Well, okay. You didn't vote. Well, and who thinks that we're tasting something else completely? Let's do it again. Okay, who thinks the first wine is from Antonori? Okay, more hands. Who thinks the second wine is from, oh, sorry. Second Se wine is from Antonori. And who thinks the second wine is from Antonori? We'll do it this way. Very few, okay. Anyhow, the voting process is over. Um, the first one is the 2018 Tignanello, and the second one is the 2013 Sasakaya. Um, so to let our producers speak, um, so Abiara, Priscilla, the two of you carry the honor, the responsibility of an important family wine legacy. And you have kind of a unique perspective that allows us to assess both the past of Italian wine, but also the future. So in general, um, I would love to talk a little bit about the direction of Italian wine, in your opinion. Uh, specifically, Albiera, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, something, if you would mention, is, you know, we've seen a lot of growth in Italian wine over the years, and there's been a lot of success even during COVID. And how does Italy keep its momentum? How do you keep it exciting and competitive? You're taking a big legacy and you're moving forward with it in a very positive way. Um, what kind of advice can you give to people in the wine industry? So thank you. Thank you, Alison. And 
and Monica from uh, from remote. I think everybody's getting uh, talking about the wine, so we'll just be very brief and and uh, and coincide. Um, compliments for all the wines that have been tasted until now. I think here we have an example. If we talk about the direction of where Italian wines are, uh, we have an example of with the last two wines of the history of the past 50 years, where it has come from, and of the diversity and uniqueness of the wines that can be made in Italy, which is exactly what the future of Italian wines can be. It's the terroir, the diversity, the uniqueness, the uniqueness of the stories that we have here. There are not many other parts of the world that can have these assets. We have unique and special varieties. There are still to be discovered. There are so many. I mean, we see how uh, we know the history. I mean, we know Italian wines, we know, but still every day you get surprised by wonderful areas with local varieties, even with foreign varieties planted that makes wine that really you put your nose in and you say it's Italy and it's some parts I don't know, but it's it's got they've got this elegance, they've got this minerality, they've got the sun inside that really what can you ask more for future? We've got a long past, uh, which is not long because it's only 50 years, 50, 60, which uh, wines that have uh, well, there are other regions that have a longer history, but let's say the recognability of, of Italian wines uh, from uh, other, other areas, other countries, have come in the past 50 years. And if you think lots of areas, lots of appellation, even a traditional one, we've had um, vineyards that perhaps have been replanted once or twice, 30 years more or less, so there's going to be lots of new things coming up. The important is that we have a vision that is centered in the quality with the idea of pulling out uniqueness, um, personality, and distinctive stories that are linked to what there is also behind, because wine is not only what is in the bottle, but is also whatever we manage to explain and take and take around. Great. Thank you, Aldeara. about the wine because I think everybody pretty much <laughs> has has what knows what Tignanello is but it's 80% Sangiovese 20% Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc it grows into our state of Tignanello which is between Florence and Siena in center of Chianti Classico uh, the first vintage was 1971 and it was a bit of a turning point at least in our in our uh, winery uh, to give us also the courage to show what Italian wines can be. And uh, a very close story to the one of Priscilla, as Monica said, it's again, it's family DNA, and there it goes. <laughs> okay. We're going to hear from our last producer, Priscilla. Um, a specific question for you. Italian wine has always been, you know, very often linked to families and multiple generations of the same family making it. 
how do you see, how can Italian wine families safeguard against the pressures of outside investors, banks, venture capitalists, um, an increasingly competitive market? How can Italy keep its magic? Thank you. Thank you, Alison. Thank you, everybody. Um, thank you for including me in this panel. Uh, like Monica said in, in the introduction, I am part of a family, I'm part of a team, and when I, they asked me to be one of the seven iconic women, I wasn't very sure that I would really make part of this group, but I guess that I can represent an iconic wine, so I'm happy to be, no, come on, I'm happy to be here and, and discuss it. Uh, together with you and tell, uh, tell you a bit about the story of our family and uh, how we uh, exactly deal with these uh, things that Alison outlined in her question. Uh, it's not easy because all the issues that uh, she mentions are actually uh, a real uh, issue for the, for the family businesses and you need to have a very strong sense of pride for the family uh, enterprise, for the family project, a uh, really strong sense for the family values. And uh, we have this um, uh, great responsibility to carry forward for the next generations what we have received from our predecessors. And the idea is to do this in, in an even we, the idea is to pass on something that we got in a better shape than how we received it. So we are kind of seeing ourselves as the guardians of something that we have to take care of uh, for the ones that are coming after us. And uh, of course, um, these broader family values also have to be combined with a certain financial um, project behind it because financial. Um, financial goals have to support the family goals. Um, having a long-term view, we are maybe not interested in making uh, short-term cash, but uh, nonetheless, of course, we need to have a, a sustainable, um, sustainable virtuous circle around what we are doing. Um, I guess that uh, trying to involve the family, the family members, in some way in the family activities is a good idea to keep everybody interested. Uh, we are quite lucky in our case because, uh, as you might know, Tenuta San Guido is not just about wine. We have a larger state where we do several activities. So we have a possibility of involving different family members in different aspects. We have uh, horses, we have a nature reserve. So uh, in my generation, for example, we are five cousins, first cousins. Uh, four boys and myself, and um, some of them are uh, more interested in wine, others are more interested in uh, nature and horses, and others are just happy to make part of this group, and all together we, we try to do our best to carry forward this uh, great legacy. Um, of course, it's very important that we also, uh, in, in case of need, one shouldn't be ashamed to say that one can get some nice advice. There are some companies who do exactly that, especially in generation transition. You can get some consultancy on how to deal with this uh, family uh, generation change issues. And very important also for Tenuta San Guido is to make part of this uh, group of producers called the Primum Famiglie Vini, the PFV, uh, which is all about this kind of problems. And uh, being able to share our 
our issues and our know-how and our uh, problems with others that have similar situations, it's very, very comforting and also very interesting for us. So this is, uh, it's very important. Thank you. So uh, just uh, two words about uh, Sasekaya that we're serving today. Um, it's the 2013 vintage. We chose this vintage because we wanted to show a little bit of age, uh, Sasekaya with a bit of evolution. Uh, we chose the magnum format because it's uh, the way how the wine can be uh, aging at its best. Uh, it's a vintage that was very good and uh, regular in the Bulgaria area, but maybe a bit less talked about because it came in between two quite challenging vintages for completely different reasons. 2012 was very warm, 2014 was very cold and rainy, and 2013 was a little bit stuck in between. So maybe it's a vintage that uh, was not very much talked about, but we thought it would be nice to share it with you today. And uh, we think uh, it, for us, it's uh, very much representing our style of production. So we are happy to share it with you today. Thank you. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.